On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we are fortunate to talk with Stuart Hagestad. Stu has compiled really one of the great amateur records in recent years over the past decade. Um, he has won three U.S. mid-amateurs. He's been on four consecutive winning Walker Cup teams for the U.S. He's played in four U.S. Opens, uh, two Masters, and he was um, low amateur in 2017. And by virtue of his victory at the U.S. mid-amateur um, a couple months ago at Sleepy Hollow outside of New York City, he has earned himself another U.S. Open and Masters uh, invites uh, for 2024. So we talk with Stu about his decision um, coming out of USC not to turn pro and how he has been able to so remarkably balance his work life with uh, the elite level of amateur golf that he has played at uh, for the past 10 years since he's um, been out of USC and some of his other notable achievements in the game um, which um, he has quite a few. So um, up next on this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, Stu Hagestad. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am really honored today to be joined by three-time U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion, uh, Stuart Hagestad. And Stuart, um, thank you so much for making time to speak with us today. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking of me. Sure. So maybe just to give folks a little context in terms of where life and golf started for you. I think you were, uh, I know you're originally from Southern California, born in Newport Beach. Maybe um, just to give folks a little context, you can talk about kind of how you were first introduced to the game. I think your dad, John, was probably a factor in that, but then you were young, but maybe talk about kind of how you got started in golf. Sure. Um, I grew up at a course called Big Canyon uh, Country Club, um, kind of right in the heart of Newport Beach. For anyone that's ever seen um, the Tiger Woods book, How I Play Golf, where he's kind of facing the camera and, you know, the, the backward cord grip is there. So this golf ride, um, probably like from the early 2000s, 2000, yeah. 2001, 2002, right in that stretch. A lot of that book was actually shot at Big Canyon. So, um, you know, I I remember when that first came out, you know, as a, as a 10, 11, 12 year old, it was just kind of like, Oh, look at that. You know, like, you know, all those holes. <laughs> um, yeah. Golf was always something that I really enjoyed doing with my dad. Um, kind of growing up, he, uh, was in the process of, you know, kind of very involved in his, his business and, you know, kind of just doing whatever he could to, to not just grow that, but, um, you know, he has been involved in, in his firm, Saris Regis, for an awfully long time. So you know, when you had the chance to kind of spend time with your dad, um, you know, it was always a big deal to me. And, you know, especially kind of times around the holidays, um, that was that was great to have kind of father-son time like that. But no, I, I grew up playing, you know, I guess you could say a bunch of different sports, but golf was always the one that I kind of gravitated towards. And, you know, I, I, I know you ultimately, if I remember right, um, ended up going to the International Junior Golf Academy in Hilton Head, right? Um, but so you must have had a very active junior career. I mean, you're a lot younger than I am. I mean, the American Junior Golf Association, not that I'm at your level ever, but I mean, the American Junior Golf Association was kind of just getting started 
I'm about 30 years older than you. I mean, it was, it's been full fledged when you were probably growing up. I assume you must have been active in all the junior stuff in Southern Cal. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I think you can make comparisons to a lot of other parts of your life, right? Like, you know, some of the guys that you kind of grew up competing against in SC PGA stuff, so, you know, so Southern California section stuff or SCGA stuff, like they've gone on to do these amazing things, right? Like you look at literally like the top 25 in, in the world. Um, right. And it's just a bunch of guys that you kind of either played USAM qualifiers with, US junior qualifiers with, or maybe you competed like, you know, kind of at the grassroots level, if you want to call it that. And then in junior golf, obviously, you know, you begin to get to regional things. So like, you know, IJGTs, FCWTs, which would be, you know, maybe kind of like a, the one level below the, the, the AJGA stuff. And then obviously the AJGA kind of has different levels. They've got opens, they've got invitationals and, you right. know, kind of getting into those more elite events, you know, the, I would say like, like a polo or, you know, the, the Karsten Creek one, I think that was the ping. I think there was right. Right. At ASU boys. Right. Yeah. yeah. There used to be this, this team event called cannon cup, which like seven different people had to turn down. So I was lucky enough to get an invite, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to look back at some of the guys that you competed against and to be like, wow, like, you kick my ass back then and you're still doing it today. <laughs> well, talk to me a little bit about this, this thing in Hilton Head you went to. So was that sort of like, um, kind of like boarding school for golf or what was that yeah. uh, like? Is that essentially what it was? Yeah, no, you nailed it. Right. So, I mean, um, I looked at, I went to a school in, in Orange County, uh, my freshman year and it just, it wasn't a great fit. And, you know, when you're young, I mean, there's, there's so many things, whether it's either insecurities or interests and, you know, from month to month, your life changes and you're interested in either new things or, you know, it's just the, you, you know, you're, you're young and your world is, is so small and the person you are at 14 is so different to the person you are at 16, right? Like the same thing you said Absolutely. later in your life too. Right. So you know, I, I looked at, um, I knew that golf, you know, was important to me and I loved competing and I wanted it to, it's pretty core to me. And, you know, it's something I obviously love to do and clearly passionate about it that hasn't left and, you know, since forever, <laughs> but, um, I looked at, uh, the Academy in Florida, I looked at Bradenton, which was the right. G one. And then right. I also looked at, um, the one on Hilton head, which, which actually for the first two years that I was there, I was on a, an offshoot Island, like right next to Hilton head called Defusky. Yeah. And um, it was great. I mean, there's I think the golf is is pretty obvious, like, you know, there was, you know, coaching and, you know, facilities or whatever. But I think from simply from the golf standpoint, um, you were exposed to, to so many great players and, you know, practicing for me is I've always found it to be like kind of therapeutic. Like I love the process and preparing of, of getting ready for events and, you know, kind of trying to peak at the right time. So for me, um, which I think was definitely something that my parents may have been worried about. Um, but that was always, that always came quite easily to me. Like I enjoyed that process of trying to like get better and, and to peak. Right. And, um, you know, certainly from the academic side, you know, you, you went from what was essentially a prep school into something that was a bit more academically focused. So there were definitely times I, I paid for it later, but, um, at the time it was the right decision and it was, it was a great experience. Wonderful. And so from there, you go to USC. Uh, we've had a few Trojans on uh, the show and uh, 
in addition to now you. What was that thought process like? Did you kind of always know you were going to go head there or did you, what was your thinking in terms of ultimately deciding to go to USC? Yeah. So the sarcastic side of me says I didn't get into Stanford and that's why I went to USC. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's probably, you know, that's, that's, that's obviously assuming that I had any chance to get in. Um, But, um, but um, my, my father went to USC and my mother went to Stanford. Oh, wow. Okay. So when I was kind of growing up through call it middle school, that was like, you know, Reggie Liner, you know, or sorry, what am I talking about? Uh, you know, Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, right, right, uh, right, right. Bill White, <laughs> Pete Carroll. Right. Like I grew up in Orange County, right? So like, you know, if you've got 10 best friends, like seven of them are going to USC or UCLA, right. depending on right. the family they grew up in. Right. So for me, um, you know, Stanford was always kind of this aspirational school because obviously if you get in, like you're going, but um no, like USC was always the school I wanted to go to. My friends were going there. It was extremely comfortable. I had just gone to boarding school for three years. Um, I, you know, was in the business school and um, ended up pledging my freshman fall and obviously played golf there. And it was, you know, for lack of a better term, like it was just like, no, like this is, I was that kid in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade that, you know, wore a USC sweatshirt like four days a week. Right. And then, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so, um, just to sort of bring folks uh, and bring us up to date a little bit. So, after college, you, you know, had various stints at places as, uh, you know, kind of investment out and out analyst, various financial institutions, New York, a little bit back on the West Coast. I know you got your MBA. You mentioned you were undergrad at Marshall. It's business school. You got your MBA there. Um, and uh, you went back to New York. I know right now you're you, you've just recently moved down to um, South Florida. Uh, but um, you know, as you kind of look back over the last ten years, you've had, and we'll get into it in more detail. You've had just incredible success um, in in your amateur career, um, really has, at a historical level, which we'll talk about. I'm just curious, sort of, did you, as you were sort of um, Playing at USC and and you know you taught you I'm sure you you know competed against all sorts of people who were at your level and you know going out to the PGA Tour to try the PGA Tour. Talk to me a little bit. What was your thoughts about pursuing a pro career? Did you consider it, or did you never really something you were seriously consider? I'm just curious, given your you know tremendous success, if that's something that you kind of ever thought about seriously. Well, that's very very nice of you to say, and that was probably giving me a lot more credit than I deserve, certainly, um, on the golf standpoint. So I, I appreciate that, but, um, I, I, yeah, like I thought about it because when you're growing up, like every kid wants to be a professional athlete, right? Like, right. That's sure. Pretty, that's pretty natural. So, um, to sit there and say that, you know, it never ran through my head is, is unequivocally um, not true, <laughs> but I pretty vividly, um, remember, the inflection point in the road where it had become clear to me that I was probably going to go in a different direction. Um, we don't need to like go into the details just because it's like a relatively longer story and candidly just not that interesting, but the crux and the important, you know, genesis of, of the, the decision was basically like, yeah, like as I've gotten older, 
you know, other things had become more important to me and, and really like more interesting to me. I loved competing and I loved doing it on my own time. And I thoroughly enjoy, um, you know, as we kind of talked about, I think before we started, like I, I really enjoy practicing. I, I find it therapeutic and, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if you're bored or you want to scratch the itch, even in the off season, like right now, like, you know, you go, you know, throw in a, you know, Larry, the golf guy podcast and go chip for what you thought was going to end up being 45 <laughs> minutes and it turned out to be three hours. Right. Like that's, I, I can kind of get lost in, in, in that. Like I, I really, that's fun for me. And maybe that makes me sound like a total nerd and a total sicko, but like, it's fun for me. And, um, so back to kind of the original decision, um, but coach and I, coach Zambri and I, I kind of talked and, and basically it, it just had kind of become clear um, that there was more that I was interested in besides just this. Um, and I'm simplifying by a good bit, but um, I, I was driving from Orange County at my my dad's place back up to SC and I literally cried like the whole ride up just, mm. you know, it was it was almost like, you know, the, the death of a part of you, you know, I'd kind of, that's, that's a bit morbid, but you know, it was, it kind of come to terms sure. with like, holy crap. Like, you know, this is the first time that you're thinking about other things and et cetera. So, you know, I would, I would drive for five minutes and then it would kind of hit me again. And then I would be in tears then I would compose myself and et cetera. But I think as I've gotten older and forgive me for pontificating this. No, is, no, this is great. Go ahead. This is yeah, no, I, I, I will. I tend to ramble, so I apologize, no, but please, but I think as I've gotten older, um, you know, a lot of those themes that I hearken back to about just, you know, other things outside of golf, like a lot of your idols and people you look up to maybe aren't necessarily athletes and they're people that have done an amazing job of really, um, being a leader, um, in different parts of their life and call it the three buckets, right? One being, you know, your work, two being your family, and then three being whatever your passions are. Like it could be golf, it could be skiing, it could be, you know, philanthropic type stuff, whatever. Right. It's it's obviously quite difficult, you know, to to really knock out of the park and and to be incredibly impactful um, you know, in those three buckets. And I think that as as I've gotten older, the people that have managed to do those things have become the people that I look up to. So one last time to kind of harken back to the original question, as I've gotten older, I think a lot of people um, just assume that, you know, I would have wanted to, to turn pro or to, um, to pursue that, but I've actually become quite a bit more comfortable with the idea of not turning pro. Got it. Well, that's a very good answer and makes a lot of sense. So going down the non-pro elite amateur road that you've gone down uh, and you touched on this a little bit, but I'm just sort of curious. I mean, it's, had a lot of and, and continue to have, you know, demanding jobs and finance and at, at these various places. Um, and I'm just so interested to kind of explore with you how you balance your work life um, with keeping your game at obviously such a high level. And, and you know, as I thought about this and our, our conversation it struck me, there's kind of maybe two aspects to it, not just keeping your game at a high level, but playing in enough of the elite amateur events to sort of get your points and make those four straight Walker cup teams, which is, you know, an awesome achievement. So you have to just, it's not like you're just peaking once a year. I mean, you know, you've got to sort of peak for these, all these elite 
you know, whether it's whether it's the Crump Cup or, you know, the Coleman or, you know, or or the USGA events and stuff. Um, and and so play at a high level to which you obviously have making, you know, four straight Walker Cup teams. And and you haven't always lived in, you know, uh, a year round golf climate like you're you currently are. You were in New York for a while. So I'm just curious, how do you balance it and sort of manage to sort of, um, you know, achieve what you're doing in golf when you have the rest of your work life to also deal with, right? Well, so that's a two-part question, right? So yeah. there's kind of two questions to answer there. there one is. is obviously um, from the standpoint of work and how do you do it, um, which is honestly kind of the easier question to answer. <laughs> and then the other one, just to kind of get this clear, is basically how or like w- which which events have you played in or just kind of like balancing the two is that is that kind of the the two yeah just sort questions? of it, it, it's it's not like you know you're i mean the way i think about it and please correct me you know on any of this but i mean it's not like you're peaking for just the u.s amateur every year because you want to sort of play in enough to be at the walker cup level right and i mean yeah. i think the way you know you need to accumulate i think points and stuff you know rankings i should say you know have a high enough ranking so yeah, those yeah. are kind of the two parts yeah sure okay so the first one is the work um to golf one and i've been pretty transparent about that for an awfully long time but i would say basically from 2017 until i went to graduate school i would i would basically be in the office and work and you give up a lot of things right you know bonus Um, you know, promotional type structures and on that timeline, like there's a tremendous amount that you gave up, but at the same time, I had the opportunity to basically, you know, compete for various national teams and, um, you know, just really unique events, I would say, right. Whether it was for the Walker cup or like the Pan Am games, which I was fortunate to go to in 2019, um, as well this year, but like those things to me were important. And I knew that as soon as, you know, wife, kids and all that type of stuff came around, you weren't going to have the opportunity to kind of pursue stuff like that. So my, and I never had like a specific date laid out, right? Like I always wanted to go back to graduate school, but call it, you know, when, after I won the mid am, it was, you had these, all these amazing experiences that, right. you know, kind of presented themselves. And I was just like, well, this is really cool. Like, let's, let's a hundred percent pursue this. This is something that's really interesting and you very likely may never have it again. Right. So I would basically sure. from after the crump or the mid, whichever one was later. So call it like the first week of October all the way through call it Memorial day um, or even like the first part of June. So realistically from U S open sectionals until, you know, the last week of September, like you would, you know, you'd go play and you kind of treated it almost in a lot of ways, like a job, but at the same time, like that was important to me. And, and I had, you know, made enough money, you know, throughout the rest of the year and expenses relatively low. And when you go to these events, you know, it was, it's obviously not cheap, but like, you know, there's a lot of times there's host housing and you stay on sure. property. And like, if you kind of organize it the right way, like there's a lot of ways to kind of minimize costs. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure if someone wants to, you know, do the calculus and nitpick and et cetera, but like, if you're a responsible adult and, you know, you're not flying first to every other event. <laughs> like you can do this in a semi like affordable way. Sure. Right. So I would say that. And then when you kind of pivot to looking at it from graduate school thereafter, the obvious answer is I'm just, I'm not very much fun during the summer when you're playing. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> I can defer you to 500 people I work with that are just like, yeah, like, you know, 
stew after after work like that's what he does like you t- i lived in new york city i take the subway um to a place down in the financial district and i would hit balls from seven until nine and then i would go work out from 9 15 to 10 15 you'd subway right, back yeah. and you'd have dinner at 11 right like i don't have a wife and kids so from the standpoint of kind of a lot of those responsibilities you know maybe you wake up in some of the mornings if you want to put on your carpet for an extra hour right like there's there's a lot of little things you can do and and I am far, 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 far from the most efficient person in the world. And I think that I work with a lot of incredible people that are just, you know, so disciplined. Time management standards are off the charts. Um, I think that a lot of people don't necessarily give credit to the amount of time in the day that they have if they're willing to put their phone away and, you know, have very specific defined goals that they're trying to accomplish. And I would say one thing that I'm, I'm very lucky on from having, you know, played in a handful of different events and kind of tried to make, you know, various teams is I've always felt like, especially in the last, you know, handful of years is I feel like you have a pretty good idea of kind of where your game needs to be. And while it's certainly important to, you know, understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, you, you, you know what you like to do on the golf course, you know what you don't like to do. And you can maybe kind of play in the different parts of your game. That certainly doesn't make me an expert by any stretch. But, you know, if you know you like a certain wedge number and you you kind of try and get there, well, then make sure that, you know, you're a stone cold killer from that number or stuff like that. Right. right? Like it allows you to maybe prepare a little bit more efficiently than the 16 year old that was at the IJGA Academy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then, yeah, to to, to quickly touch on the, the second question, yeah. um, I, I think um, you're competing against first teamers. You're competing against the best players in the country and in the world. And you only have a limited amount of days that you're going to go out and try and play. So if you're going to do something like try and do it at an awfully high level. And um, I think I have a good idea of what I like to do and what I'm comfortable with. Like I never, I tried to never play more than two weeks in a row. Um, I, for the most part, always played kind of the same events. I love the Northeast and I would always go back. Yeah. Well, um, I, I remember reading you know, Moist, it's a great place and that is a great tournament. No question. Yeah. I, I'm from Connecticut. So I, you know, I grew up in New England. I know a little about it. It's a great, toughest par 69 in the world, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think if you look at, you know, my, my Wagger page and, and you kind of go back dating all the way back to 20. I would say 2018, 2017, I was kind of figuring out what I liked and what I didn't. I, I overextended that that summer. Um, but I would say that you'd, you'd probably find that, you know, with the exception of maybe one event, it's all pretty much the same schedule. And if you get invited to, to cool things like a Walker Cup or you qualify for U.S. Open, like, of course, you're going to go. Right, right, right. No, that 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 makes sense. Um so let's maybe get into a little bit some of the uh, some of the many achievements you've had, and got to start with the mid am. Um, you know, your third U.S. mid am this summer at Sleepy Hollow puts you in pretty elite company, tied with Jay Siegel, uh, one behind Nathan Smith. You've had your 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 success in this tournament is really amazing, um, and. I mean, going all the way back, I guess to the first one in 2016, if I remember, I mean, you were what, four down with five to go and ended up beating Scott Harvey in 37 holes. That was pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, and you know, in this past summer, you know, you added the Crump Cup at Pine Valley, which is, you know, an amazing place and to, to sort of to, to, to your U.S. mid-am title. So, 
kind of as I guess my question is sort of as you look back now that you've had three and counting uh, of U.S. mid-ams, what do you think about all that? The success you've had? I mean, what's it been like? I mean, now it's been, you know, we're here in November. It's been a couple, almost a couple of months. You think back on it. What, what's kind of, uh, what are your thoughts as you think back on this summer and the the three U.S. mid-ams? Crazy, right? I, I mean, not in a million years have you ever thought that, you know, just to compete, you know, in a USGA championship is, is kind of something that every competitive player aspires to do, whether it's at the amateur or the professional level. I, I vividly still remember qualifying for my first USGA event. I never played in a junior, so that was the, the USAM in 2008. Um, at oh, Pinehurst. wow. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, just I, I, the little kind of money clip or player badge that you get yeah, as soon as you, yeah. as soon as you, you register. I mean, those are really special, right? And Absolutely. there's a lot of folks that are incredible players that, you know, have never qualified for USGA event, let alone won one. So to kind of put it in that, context is I, I it's tough to kind of you know put into words and to contextualize as it as it applies um you know to some of the things and thank you for 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 mentioning a couple of those um you know i i think it's like anything else that you do um you you don't really think about what's happened in the grand scheme of things there'll be a time for that um you know certainly there's there's moments where you kind of think about it but I, I credit my, my parents for this. I credit a lot of people that I've kind of looked up to in, in high school. I, 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 I'll, I'll credit a lot of friends, um, you know, just for the way that they, you know, kind of think about different things. And, um, all you're trying, like, if you've got a pitch in a week, all you're trying to do is bring it for that pitch, right? Like all you're trying right. to do is be the best you can and prepare the best way you can for, for one individual instance. And then you learn from that. And after you do it a couple of times, you get better and better. Um, but at its core, all you're trying to do is, um, bring it for whatever that event is. Um, when you put it in, you know, if, if I were to, if something were to happen and I couldn't play anymore, like that'd be a huge bummer, but like, you know, you, I think I would look at it and know that as long as you did everything you could to prepare as well as you could, given the constraints that you had, well, then you, you did everything that you could. So that's, that's that. Um, maybe that's me simplifying a little bit. I know I'm not doing a great job of, you know, verbalizing this and putting, no, it no, words, this is good. This is good. Yeah. So that's, that's just always kind of the way that, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about it. Um, there's certainly were, were some goals that I had performance wise, but you know, it, it, let's take the medium, for example, right? Like, right. you know, you, you, you try and win medalist, you try to play as well as you can in stroke play and, you know, hopefully you do, but if you don't help, you know, you, you come up just short, you're still in a good spot, right. but then you got to play one guy. So you gotta, you gotta bring it for the round of 64. And right. if you get through him, then you, you go back to the drawing board and you, you try and prepare as well as you can for the next one. And, I maybe it's oversimplifying, but that's just always kind of the way I thought about it. If you're going to yeah. go play in something like do everything you can to try and to try and win, to try and play great. And in golf, you know, which is so hard, it's so hard. You, you lose an awful lot more than you win. And sure. when, when right. you do, you know, when you do have some success or you have a great tournament, like I think one thing that's 
maybe come into or like that I've gotten better at as I've gotten older is, you know, enjoy that moment and and think about, you know, what enjoy think it like you don't necessarily think about um, you know, what it felt like to win or the, the moment itself. Like you think a lot about, you know, the the countless days and hours that, you know, were there when no one was really watching. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it is a remarkable, I think, I think what five semis and seven appearances, just incredible record in that tournament. Let me turn to a couple of other things. Um, Golf is largely an individual sport, but um, there are some special team events and you have had the great fortune to be on the team event for us amateurs, which is of course the Walker cup. And I actually remember watching you at LACC in 2017, along with what a packed team, Scheffler, Zalatoris, Morikawa. Um, I, um, I know I'm, and, and others, I'm, I don't mean, to, you know, Doug Gim. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, it's just, it was just a, uh, just like the murderous Matt, row Scotty, of the 27 Will, Yankees. Yeah. yeah. Just incredible. I, mean, I, think of, <laughs> I think eight of the 10 guys have achieved a tour card. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and obviously with some of those names, we've got major champions in there. So, I mean, just really impressive folks. Um, so that must have, and, and you're a member at LACC, so that must have been pretty darn cool. And then you had, I think it's fair to say, probably the largest cheering section, as I remember, but, uh, you know, for good reason, the home guy. Um, but you sort of had that in 2017. Um, you know, you were at St. Andrews just, you know, a few months ago. I mean, talk to me a little bit what your Walker Cup experience, that must be so cool to be part of teams with people like that, right? You know, as I, as I think back, um, I, you obviously think about the golf and you think about, you know, some of the really neat moments that took place, you know, whether it was, you know, on the course, off the course, but I think the big thing that really sticks out is just some of the relationships and the memories that have, have kind of come with it. And, you know, when you do kind of run into some of the guys that you've had the chance to play on teams with, um, you know, the bonds that, that you created over the course of that week, um, captains as well. Robbie Zalznick deserves a call out since he was there for every step of the way, kind of from a management standpoint, but it's such a special event <clears throat> and, and the golf is, is obviously an enormous part of that, but just kind of the, the journey that it, and the process it takes to, to be considered, let alone to make the team and to, to getting the phone call. The celebrations are obviously fun, but you know, there's so many little moments where you feel like it could go either way. And it's, um, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, the, it's the highest honor in amateur golf. And, um, absolutely. I look at, I look at each one of those teams and, um, there's just, it's such a, such a special group and each and one, every one of them was, was kind of, you know, different and nuanced in certain ways but um yeah it was it's been it's been pretty cool oh i can only imagine um and you know we mentioned i mentioned major championships in passing um and you've had the great fortune to play in two masters there'll be a third uh most likely next spring um four u.s opens um you got to talk about the masters a little bit. I remember watching you not in person on TV and, and you, you know, being low am in 2017. Um, what is it like to sort of tee it up at Augusta in the masters? And I don't know if you stayed in the crow's nest, which is sort of historically where the amateurs do, but what were those weeks like for you? And then, and, and then to boot, making the cut and finishing T36 in 2017. I mean, that just must've been magical. Well, let's start with one right off the top. It's, 
a lot cooler of a week when you play the weekend versus when you don't. So as someone, (laughs) (laughs) you know, one of those two events uh, resonates a lot better than the other. So, um, you know, it's a special (laughs) week. You know, my birthday is April 10th and that time of year, that time of year has always been really special to me. And um, I think we all, I think I speak for pretty much everyone, um, you know, and, and kind of cling back to your original question about, you know, golf and, and climates that aren't necessarily, you know, quite as great for that. But I actually think that's part of what I attribute a lot of um, cool, or, you know, reasons that I, I love kind of competing in amateur golf as much as I do is it does force you to put the clubs away and kind of going back to the masters when, when you hear the piano and you begin to see the commercials and you know, the advertising right. comes on, you, you kind of start to get the edge yeah. and you're like, you get hey, the like, Jim Nance voiceovers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Like, man, I kind of want to go, kind of want to go chip. I want to hit shots. And you know, that's, that's part of kind of, you know, what derives that, that curiosity to be like, Hey, like I want to, I want to go do this again. Um, what a special week. Uh, you stay in the crow's nest. I, I would all, I've, I've stayed there for, um, kind of one night throughout the week. Um, what a tangible place in, in golf history. Um, yeah. just so historic and incredible to kind of walk around and, and just think about some of the people that I've had the chance to, to spend time there. Um, absolutely. He, as far as the tournament itself, um, of course you're nervous. I remember back in 2017, I had like a full blown panic attack the day before I, I had to like go into my room and like I put on like Fleetwood Mac, the rumor, the rumors album, and just like rolled out for like two hours. Like it was so loose at the end of this session. I was like, Oh my gosh. That's like, great. I love it. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and then the second time, you know, I made bogey at the first, but you know, I, I think I maybe adjusted a little bit quicker um, just to be like, Hey, like, you know, we're here to compete. And then I, didn't play great but the point is is so much of life is is gonna you know if you're given the chance to put yourself in an uncomfortable position that probably um is a good thing or maybe you know there's some either personal professional or you know type of growth that comes out of that so if you're not nervous um you've probably done it a lot so the fact that you are nervous means it means a lot to you um right exactly so yeah it's it's um I'm certainly more kind of prepared than I was the first time around, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it means any less to you or it's not as interesting or, you know, you're any less intimidated to do it. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a special, special week and a special place. I can only imagine. And, and, you know, you will always be low am in 2017. You've got that honor to add to your list of honors for us opens. Um you know, talking about playing the weekend, you played the weekend at Brookline. Um, pretty cool. I mean, that's such a um, golf's ultimate test, right? You've got, you know, the two levels of qualifying, you know, to get through. And um, uh, I mean, what was it like to play the weekend at Brookline? That must have been pretty cool. Same joke applies. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a lot cooler when you play the weekend, even if you don't play your best on the weekends. Um, my one of my closest friends was on the bag that week. Um, you know, he knew TCC really well and mm-hmm. he and I have arguably played, I don't play a ton of social golf, but I've played with him probably more than anyone else in the last better part of a decade. So we had a ton of fun together. Um, it was a great week. Um, 
I think that golf course is fabulous. I, yeah. I played the USAM there back in 2013, and I just always kind of remembered at the time how how challenging it was. And you certainly saw a lot of that at the Open, even though you know you had you'd played a couple other challenging places. So you your maybe understanding of how to prepare, kind of going back to that conversation, was a little bit a little bit higher. You know, you're probably you're certainly going to be you know moderately intimidated, but you're also kind of like, okay, the green's going to be firm. They're going to be fast. Like you know, you're going to see these players like it's not you're not blindsided by a lot of things that you just don't know. Right. Um, so that was helpful. But um, the USAM or sorry, the U S open to me has a lot of similarities to a really big U S or sorry, to a really big USAM, you know, it's more built out. There's more people, there's more infrastructure. Um, there's a lot more noise, but yeah. at its core, um, they're pretty similar. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll obviously give the open, you know, a bit of an edge as far as, you know, how the course plays. And it's certainly a bit more challenging, but um, if you look at a lot of kind of the bones of both events, they're quite similar. Right. So um, yeah, I, I was fortunate to play at, you know, Aaron Hills and Shinnecock, which was so hard pebble. Um, and then obviously at TCC, but um, they, they run a great tournament. The USGA is, is great for the game of golf. It's despite what a lot of people say run by, by, you know, professionals even if they're they're amateurs that have incredibly high golf iqs that are very involved and interested in the best interests of the game um they've been great to me and you know i think that um they've people that have been involved in the usga have become friends over the years and you know i i i have the utmost faith in, in every decision you know that they make so i i completely agree in fact i've got john bodenhammer is going to be coming on in a few weeks i'm sure you know him and you know and kevin committee who's a terrific player himself and 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 fred and the rest of them it's a it's a great group i i totally agree um you mentioned the pan am stuff i want to just talk about that a little bit just because um Rose Zhang was on your team, uh, and uh, Amelia Miliacho, who we actually had Amelia on a few weeks ago. Um, you'll, you'll, She's great. You'll, you'll, she is. She does a great job with the Golf Channel. Similar, you know, terrific amateur career and, and, and all American Wake Forest, and and is you know not pursuing pro. You know, working for the Golf Channel. And I want you to know that when we talked, she said you are her model for what she wants her golf life to be. <laughs> she actually, I didn't, she just called you out. I said, I sort of said to her, you know, Hey, what do you think? You know, you next 10 years, Oh, Stuart is my model. Um, so uh, I thought you'd appreciate that, but what was that experience? I mean, Rose, of course, has been, you know, an incredible amateur career and, and, you know, winning her first time pegging it at LPGA. I mean, that must've been a lot of fun. I bet. Well, that's pretty high praise for Amelia. She's she's a lot better than me in just about every way, and I think the world of her as a human being. Forget golf. She's just yeah. She is great. great. I agree. She's, she's cool. Um, Rose was obviously on that team. How about that career? We we saw it early, and you know it's amazing what she's you know been doing. Um, obviously, you know winning her first event as a pro, but then winning twelve times in college and taking the world by storm, and you know Solheim Cup teams, and it's just it's. So impressive, especially for someone that maybe doesn't have the same length. Um, you know, Amelia's right. got a lot of speed, and right, right. Um, the way that Rose kind of goes about it or goes about it is just it's it's incredible. And um, she's, I have a lot of friends, you know, that have kind of been, you know, that you played against, you know, that were there at Stanford during her time, and you know, she's just she's a killer. Um, yeah, she she grinds. She she's very efficient with the way that she practices. She's very disciplined. Um, and she's such a great person as well. Yeah. She's, yeah. There's, 
I have a lot of time for, for everyone on that team. And then, uh, and then obviously Brandon Wu, who you know, has had a pretty good run. And yes. that week he, um, he missed the playoff for gold, silver, and bronze by a shot. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. And then he was medalist. Like we took a red eye from Lima to essentially Pinehurst and teed it up the next day, like post red eye and was medalist in stroke play. Wow. I didn't, that's yeah. impressive. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh my. So that, that team, you know, I was the just total riding the coattails, you know, just dragging my feet in the sand. You know, I contributed for like one shot, but um, that was a cool experience. And when you get stuff like that, you know, to represent the United States and to be in the Olympic village down there and, and to see all the other athletes and, you know, any chance you have to kind of represent something that's, that's much bigger than yourself in the game is, is always something that I've, I've tried to, to kind of make a priority and tried to be a part of if I'm, if I'm invited. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. So let me sort of uh, kind of get you out of here a little bit on this and um, kind of uh, we've been looking backwards uh, and coming up to the current date, maybe looking forward a little bit Um and, you know, as I thought about you and thought about, you know, people who have been career amateurs at a very high level, um, I mentioned Jay Siegel, of course, who, like you, has three U.S. mid-ams. You know, I think back, because I'm a little older than you, Alan Doyle, you know, Vinnie Giles, you know, growing up in Connecticut, Dick Sideroff, of course, you know, with the two British ams was just a god. Um, and, um, you know, these folks all sort of, you know, had stellar amateur careers, although, you know, Jay and Alan both ended up sort of um, taking uh, what we, I guess, what the, the mulligan in, you know, and sort of going for the senior tour um, with great success. I still remember Alan got facing down Watson in his backyard at Prairie Dune. I mean, just, you know, tremendous success. Um, so kind of with that out there, I mean, how do you, you're, 32. I mean, obviously that that's a long way off, but how do you sort of see your golf career continue? You sort of see yourself, you know, continuing to try to play at amateur um, uh, at a high national level, like you've been doing the last 10 years. Do you ever think about the senior tour down the line um, or kind of what are your thoughts on as you look forward? Well, I think after our discussion for however long it's been, I, I, I think, you innately know the answer to thinking about the senior tour, right? So, so that I'm pretty comfortable with, and I don't think I need to kind of extrapolate on that one, but um, I love to play. I love to compete. Um, there is certainly going to be a time in my life where member guests are a much larger part of my schedule than, than they've been for the last 10 years, or at least I hope <laughs> they are. I, 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 you know, I'm, currently probably not the best uh net partner but you know if i'm fortunate enough to to get a an invite and to play in more of those things um you know i i'd like to be an aspiring aspiring partner you know i think that when the time comes um you know wife and kids whenever that whenever that takes place um will dictate a lot of that sure. and, and i kind of sure. go back to my my comments earlier about as i've gotten older a lot of the people i look up to have changed um there's there's a really close friend of mine um, named Michael McBride that has been my partner in the Anderson a couple of times. And, you know, he's got four kids and he's super involved from, um, you know, just a professional standpoint um, at JP Morgan. And he's he's just kind of like that 
cool older brother that I always have kind of looked up to and, you know, would love to even come close to, to, to kind of shadowing and emulating. Um, his wife's incredible. The family's amazing. So just that's an easy example to me of whereas kind of, I look down the line, you know, I aspire to be, you know, that dad that's super present with the kids and, you know, to be, you know, the husband that's, you know, always doing fun stuff with his wife and, uh, golf is great and I love it. And I, it's a, it's a huge part of me and who I am. And, and that's, that's always kind of been, um, really important to me and, um, really explaining, you know, if you're, out having drinks with someone or you know to friends or whatever that like it's a it's a big part of me and i never want that to go away but at the same time you know i definitely think that there as you get older your life changes and and things happen and and i think that you know playing in 200 usga events and chasing this that and the other record you know aren't quite as extremely important to me as you know a lot of other things now that being said like I think just the way that I'm wired is that like, if I'm going to play in something, I'm going to try and do everything I can to, to play great. Right. But um, again, it's, there's, there's a lot more going on um, than just golf. And one thing that I've always kind of really tried to, to go back to is if I'm fortunate enough to, to kind of leave a, a much more lasting and compelling impact on those around me, whether that's your family you know, your work, um, you know, wife, kids, the community that you're in, then I've, that's kind of the gen, that's why you don't turn pro, right? Like, cause that's a right. very, you know, that's your that's work. Right. And if, if I can aspire to, to, to be more impactful than anything I could ever do on the golf course, then, then I've been successful. Wonderful. And totally agree. And, um, you know, having, uh, being 30 years down the road from you and, you know, with three kids and, you know, being married 37 years, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff with your family. You never want to miss. Um, It's just, it's, there's a lifetime of memories that you'll have in front of you. So, Hey, Stu, thank you so much for um, spending the time chatting with us today. This has been great. Uh, Again, congratulations on, you know, phenomenal year. Um, we'll look for you in the masters in the spring, uh, and, um, good luck with everything. Good luck with your move in Florida as you get settled in there. And, um, thanks again for spending the time with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. That was great. Stay in touch too. Absolutely. I will.